Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Oh God, open us up. Open our eyes so that we can see. Open our ears so that we can hear. Open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you want to take out of your heart and place deep within ours. And then, oh God, open our hands so that we can serve. And may I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's stories like these that make me both love Jesus and be very frustrated by Jesus. And it's stories like these that kind of made me want to be involved in starting a church like this. Jesus Christ is notorious for welcoming sinners and eating with them. And these are people who have certainly, in the eyes of everyone else, been canceled because of their questionable integrity and morals. And it seems like Jesus Christ isn't all that worried about being seen with them, and he isn't all that worried that his reputation is going to be tarnished by associating with them. And it's texts like these, just to get right into it, that warns people like me, and probably people like you, about a puritanical impulse that can be really tempting. For all of the ways that you can see injustices so clearly, Holy Family, my prayer for you is that you do not let a fundamentalist spirit that you think you're running away from get smuggled in with you anyway and bring new versions of purity tests and cruel hot takes that just makes your heart bitter and an enemy out of everybody who doesn't see things quite as crystal clearly as you do in this exact moment. Jesus intentionally recruited a tax collector named Matthew. 
And I don't know what you would do if Jesus Christ recruited you to like hang out, but Matthew decides to throw a dinner party for Jesus. I love to throw dinner parties. It's how we started this church actually, we're just throwing a bunch of parties at people's houses. Matthew throws one of these parties and not only does he invite Jesus, but he invites all of his friends and his colleagues. So you get a bunch of tax collectors and all the gospel says is that it's a group of tax collectors and sinners. Sounds kind of fun. They join Jesus at the table. Now some others, religious professionals, so this one stinks a little bit, but religious professionals like me start asking questions. Uh, Why is Jesus being seen in public with people like that? I mean, does he not know who they are? Does he not know who they voted for? <laughs> Lord, you're supposed to be an upstanding leader with a public ministry. I mean, you are running a big risk here. People are starting to get excited about you, but I mean, honestly, one picture of this goes online with you being around these bigoted, racist, crooked, moral failures, and I'm just not so sure that people are going to continue to be excited about you. This is going to be pretty wet blankety. And Jesus catches wind of their disdain and he says, hi, yeah, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You should go, it's it's, it's always kind of funny when Jesus tells religious professionals what they should have learned in seminary. And this is another one of those. And he said, you should go away and learn what this verse from the Bible means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people. I came for sinners. What does Jesus' little two-part lesson mean? Here's the first. Jesus wants mercy, not sacrifice. I remember when Father Gregory Boyle came and preached at Holy Family about the triumph of mercy and compassion. He said to us that we stand at the margins so that the margins under our feet become erased. He said, we stand with the demonized to put an end to all demonizing. We stand with the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. We go to the margins with kinship as our goal. Without kinship, there will be no peace. And without kinship, there will be no real justice. And without kinship, there will be no real equity or equality. And so we go to the margins and we brace ourselves against those who say that mercy is a waste of time. We go to the places where the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah says, there will be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voices of those who sing. Mother Teresa once said, The problem with the world is that we've all forgotten that we belong to each other. Imagine a circle of compassion and now imagine no one outside of that circle. That's what Jesus Christ has to keep trying to put in front of people who are religious. 
And so, Holy Family, if we're gonna try to take Jesus Christ seriously, we have to learn this lesson. God wants mercy, not sacrifice. Here's the second part of his mini seminary. He says, I have not called righteous people. Sorry, I've only come to call sinners. A friend of mine who's coming to preach for us this Advent um, is a retired bishop named Will Willimon, and he likes to put it this way. Uh, Jesus Christ dies for sinners, only sinners. And if you're unwilling to accept that, well, we'll keep waiting. God demonstrates God's own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. God has had profound mercy on us in saving us from all of the ways that we dehumanize ourselves against one another. And it usually turns into, but people like us are cool, right? And so we get together with people like us and we basically just try to live as far away as we can from people that don't get it. We forget that we belong to one another. I love to tell the fantasy that American Christianity loves to tell about, oh, well, it's just me and Jesus. And, you know, American Christianity has got a lot of mileage out of that thing, let me tell you. It's just you and your personal relationship with Jesus. Okay. It's not not that, but like, whatever salvation I'm getting is intimately bound up in yours. That's the actual gospel. God's either bringing us all back to life or we really don't (laughs) have much to hope for and we ought to just be pitied. We belong to one another. So suddenly, as Jesus is taking these religious leaders back to school, a bereaved father comes and kneels before Jesus. I don't know what kind of parties you've been to in life, but that's kind of a, you know, that sucks the air out of the room. Somebody comes in and you know, lays prostrate in front of you. And he says, my daughter just died. I wonder if you have ever been in a place of that desperation where you really don't care how you look. You don't care how people are going to read the moment. You need mercy and help yesterday. And so you just throw it out there. My daughter just died. Come and place your hand on her and she'll live. So Jesus, you know, gets up from the table and his friends and they start walking out the door. And before they can even get out of Matthew's door, a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years comes up behind Jesus and just, you know, tugs on his garment. And she thinks to herself, if, if I, even if I could just touch his robe, I know that I would be healed. She was. And as Jesus pulls up to this dad's house after the house party and after the woman getting her healing by touching his robe, outside a huge crowd has gathered. Friends, family, colleagues, neighbors, and they're all weeping and wailing. They've even brought a band out and they are just playing sad tunes for everyone. Jesus walks up and tells everybody to hit the road because he says, she's not dead, she's just asleep. 
and they laugh at him like he's an idiot because that's kind of an idiot move. I mean, really put yourself in that position. If you've ever been in mourning for a family member that died, just imagine, you know, a religious leader rolling up to the scene and saying, y'all can stop that. They're not actually dead. This is like not sensitive pastoral leadership here by Jesus. But Jesus sends them all away. And then Jesus does what only God can do, touches the girl's hand, and she raises up. So who do you think you are in the story? Maybe you are really judgmental of people who, frankly, kind of live evil, wicked lives. Or maybe you're one of those sinners that you're just like, yeah, it's me, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, not really a good person, um, but I'm just glad to be friends with Jesus. Maybe that's why you're here today. Or maybe you've come today because you are a parent looking for life from the dead. Maybe it's not an actual person in your life that has died, but maybe there's a situation that seems like it is pretty dead on arrival. And you've come today hoping against hope that the living God could resurrect something from this situation and give you a little bit of hope back. Maybe you are someone who walks in and says, I don't need a lot of FaceTime with Jesus. I'm good. I just want to be in the room and get a little bit of healing back in my life. I don't want to take up too much space. Know that God is a busy God. I just want to get a little help, a little relief. Or maybe you feel like you are the person laying dead. Everything that you thought life would do, all the ways that you thought life would work out, haven't. And it feels like you are dying rather than living. And you're hoping that some sort of God could come and touch your hand and raise you back to life. But there's a more important question than who you are in the story. The more important question is, look to see who Jesus is in this story. And can you see all of the many different ways that Jesus Christ loves us and liberates us and gives us our life back? Jesus Christ is the one who associates with rotten sinners. Jesus Christ is the one who shows contemptuous people that there is a better way to live than to constantly be judging others and to deal with your own stuff. Jesus Christ is the one who heals those who hurt. Jesus Christ is the one who gives hope to those who only know grief. And Jesus Christ raises to life what everyone assumes is dead. This is God's gift of love. This is God's gift of liberation. This is God's gift of life. And in the church, we call that salvation. And the thing about Jesus is... (laughs) He just gives it to everybody. Not just the people who think correctly. Not just the people who act appropriately. 
Not just the people who pray piously. Not the people who do good in this world. Everybody. Even them. And in a few moments, you and I will have an opportunity to come to this altar table for communion. We'll put our hands out and we will receive the body and blood of the living God. Because Jesus Christ is at it again, doing what he does best, welcoming sinners and eating with them. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.